Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Franco Harris was unbelievable. Franco Harris, four Super Bowls. I know you guys just didn't hear me then. I apologize. I don't know what I hit because I'm stupid. But I was 10 years old. My brother was 12. We're playing. We had this football game where you take out this big field and it was plastic. And we had a kicker and we had goalposts and two guys on wheels and you threw them and we were watching the game. And Franco Harris made the catch. And if you notice... There's only one view of that catch. The pass is thrown. The hit is made. It goes not dark, but it goes to nothing. And then it shows Franco Harris. There wasn't film of Franco Harris making that catch forever. Long story short, Franco Harris died. Rest in peace. 72 years old. Way, way, way too young. Uh, we'll update you if we hear any news on what happened. Any news. But I don't know what happened. It doesn't say. His son announced it, and away we went. All right. I got to tell you, um, I put this tweet out yesterday, and this has always bothered me. And I've talked about this before, okay? Look, a lot of people in the coaching profession talk about here, what a sport. What a freaking sport here. You get a kid. to switch, ladies and gentlemen, to go from being a committed player at a school to being a uncommitted player and, quote, flipping to another school. And we think that's okay. We think in college football, talking kids out of a commitment. Now, think about what the word commitment means. Commitment is maybe the most important thing that a player or an adult or a young adult can do. Make a commitment. I'm going to make a commitment to do something. I'm going to make a commitment. So a kid commits to a school, 18 to 23 years old. He makes a commitment. Here comes the great leader of men, you guys say. Look, if guys didn't act like Nick Saban didn't act like or any of these college coaches didn't act like they were such leaders of men, didn't invoke the military, didn't invoke God, didn't invoke toughness, I'd have no problem with it. But this freaking nonsense about being leaders of men and then going into an 18 to 23-year-old's house, actually more of an 18-year-old house, 17 in some instance, and flipping them. Caden Proctor from Iowa. We have flipped the number one offensive tackle in the 2023 class. Caden Proctor from Iowa. Never doubt Nick Saban, some idiots at Alabama say. All right, is that really what we're supposed to be about? What a sport. What a freaking sport. Now, everybody's going to disagree with me. I get it. Everybody is. Everybody's going to say, well, Doc, it's flipping players has been going on forever. And I'll agree. It it has. Why is that right? Murder's been going on forever. Why is that right? Robbery. 
rape, assault, whatever's been going on, just because something's been going on. Now, in the difference between the crimes that I mentioned, there is punishment for crimes. This isn't a crime. This is business as usual. And it stinks. It absolutely stinks. I'm not talking about it stinks for Iowa. Of course it stinks for Iowa. It stinks for the sport. I'll tell you a story. I had a player. His name is Keith McLeod. He ended up being the MAC Player of the Year. He ended up being an NBA player. He was in Canton, Ohio. Canton McKinley High School. Comes to my basketball camp. Great. I recruit him. We get him to commit early. We get him to sign early. Here comes Bobby Huggins in the University of Cincinnati. They got $10,000 illegally, I've been told, allegedly, through a dead guy now named Brett Barra. For Keith McLeod, listen to this, to not graduate from Canton McKinley High School, to not graduate. And if he doesn't graduate Canton McKinley High School, he can go to Maine Central Institute for prep school for a year, which negates him signing with me at Bowling Green. Now, follow this. So this leader of man, Bob Huggins, gets this other dirtbag, rest his soul, Brett Barrett, to fork up 10 grand. They go to McLeod and the coach and the people and talk him into not graduating, except the coach has character. He goes, we're not doing this. We are not doing this. The coach goes and tells everybody, including the teachers, look, this is the scheme that Huggins has. And guess what? McLeod doesn't really want to go with it either because he knows coming to play for me is a good thing. Long story short, here comes the summertime. We know what's going on. We're sweating McLeod. Huggins calls me. I'm on a family vacation. There was a weak window in recruiting. I was taking my family along with a couple of my friends and their families to the Wisconsin Dells just to hang out. Phone rings, kids in the back, wife in the front seat. Bob Huggins, hey, Dan. I'm going to beat the living you-know-what out of your assistant, Jamal Meeks. He keeps talking about us and what we're trying to do with Keith McLeod. I tell Huggins, I go, Bob, I can set that up. You're old and fat. Uh, my buddy, my assistant, Jamal Meeks, is young and tougher than you've ever thought of being. So let's set that up. I tell you what, exact quote, Bob, I'll be back in a week. We can meet in Cincinnati. We'll even come to you. We can set it up for Jamal to beat the living you-know-what out of you if that's what you want. Let's do it. And he starts hemming and hawing. Well, you know, that's crap. I go, no, it's not. Brett Barrett set up $10,000 for Keith McLeod to go to Maine Central Institute, and you set it up. That's exactly what's happened, and we are going to expose it because it's crap. So you know what happens then because, well, Huggins and I are both men. We get talking. We get laughing. He comes and speaks at my dinner, and I go and speak at his basketball camp clinic. It's what men do. You got to call people out when they're trying to screw you. You don't wilt. You don't back down. It's what men do. McLeod comes to Bowling Green, gets his degree, becomes an NBA player, MAC player of the year. Now he's coach. Huggins, doing great. Dockage, doing great. That's the moral of the story. And I, every coach has got a ton of those. Every coach has got a bunch of those kind of stories, particularly at the MAC level. Well, now it's different. And football is different, right? Football, you expect your suit and tie, your buttoned up coach, 
yeah, man, we're talking about God and religion and the military. Yeah, hey, uh, 18 to 23-year-old, I'm going to get you an extra, oh, I don't know, 15 or 20 grand. You come to my school. What a bunch of crap. So the next time you see your football coach out there all buttoned up, boom. You know what is interesting about what I'm talking about? What I'm talking about rarely happens in basketball, always happens in football. Like basketball has the scummiest guys on earth. We've seen it. Some have gone to jail. But I got to tell you, it's like an honor among thieves, mostly. The story about Huggins, while true, is actually not that prevalent. For some reason, you in basketball announce your commitments. Coaches stay away. I'm having a beer. Urban and I are cooking out. Maybe I've told this story. I get a commitment from a big kid, Southern uh, Ohio. It's in the paper. He says, why? He's the coach at Bowling Green, Urban Meyer. I'm the basketball coach. He's the football coach. We live right next to each other. He goes, hey, why do you put commitments in the paper? I go, well, in basketball, I put a commitment in the paper. People leave the kid alone. Now he's committed to Bowling Green. He says, Urban does, if I do that at Bowling Green in football, that only gets the recruiting started, meaning the coach at Michigan is going to go, hey, Bowling Green got this kid committed. The coach at Ohio State is going to go, hey, check this kid out. Michigan State, Notre Dame, Indiana, all these different schools. Honor among thieves in football. That's why I love football coaches because football coaches can get up there Smile in your face all the time to try to take your place. They're backstabbers, backstabbers. It's a great song. It's not only about women. Of course, it's about women. But it's also, ladies and gentlemen, you know this, it's also about recruiting. Hell hath no fury like a woman's sport. I got to tell you, hell hath no fury like a recruit that is committed. And here comes the fury. The coaches. Whoo. Wait, he's going to Iowa? We can get this done. I know a guy that knows a guy that can get to him. The deal now, though, ladies and gentlemen, and you know this, the deal now, of course, is this. Moolah, dinero, scratchish. You know this because now it's legal. Now I don't have to say, hey, look, I got $10,000 for you to go to a prep school in Maine. Now it's like, hey, it, don't graduate. I got the 10 grand to get you in prep school, but we're going to get you another 50 grand while we're there. And if you come back to my school, I'm going to get you 100 grand. We're going to get you a car, and it's all legal. Well, it's mostly legal. But this is what we wanted in sports. Do I, do I begrudge college football coaches for trying to flip recruits? Of course I don't begrudge college football coaches for trying to flip recruits. Of course I don't. Heck no. That's the business that they are in. Period. That's the business. But the truth of the matter is, I do begrudge them sitting up there like Pat Robertson or freaking, what's that lady's name with all the makeup? Her and her husband trying to take some money from us. I can make fun of them for doing that. I should make fun of them for doing that. And you should, too. What a football coach should do is say, look, look, I'm wearing this jacket and tie. 
because I got to. I got to present an image for the school. This is a billion-dollar industry. But I'm going to be a snake just like everybody else in every other business. Now, understand this. I'm going to be a snake. I'm going to try to flip Jason Hammer's son from his commitment to Indiana. I'm going to try to get him to Notre Dame. And by the way, Jason Allen Hammer, the number one, number one midday sports, or excuse me, news talk show in the country as voted by Barrett's Media is joining us here in a minute. But that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to flip. I am going to do everything. And you should. If that's the business, then that's what you should do. But it doesn't mean I can't make fun of college football coaches for doing it. And it doesn't mean I can't call them hypocrites for doing it. Jason Allen Hammer, how are you? Congratulations. The number one news talk midday show in the country, Hammer and Nigel, three to seven every day, WIBC. You join us. Let's rock and roll, big boy. Coach, what's going on, man? How you doing? I am doing absolutely spectacular. All right, let's get into a couple of things. One, we got a spending bill here that's protecting every border but the United States border. What the hell are we doing here? This is everything the left said they would do. I don't know why people are shocked about this. Everything they said they wanted to do that we said was a bad idea that we said was radical, that we said is going to be a detriment to this country, they're doing. And now everybody's flabbergasted. So let's go down the list here. They want to turn Texas blue because if they turn Texas blue, they'll never lose another election again. So you're going to open up the border. They said they wanted to pass the Green New Deal. Well, they couldn't pass it in its existing form. So they're going to take bits and pieces of it and throw it in every single bill, whether it's the omnibus, omnibus bill, whether it's something else, there are parts of the Green New Deal in every single bill. And they want to be able to keep a war going on elsewhere so they can blame their failures on said conflict. And that's what they're doing with Ukraine. Like if you asked for an audit of the money that this country has given Ukraine, you couldn't get it. A lot of our tax dollars are ending up on the black market right now in terms of uh, military arsenal items, uh, things of that nature. It's on the black market right now. You have no idea where this money is going. But as long as Russia and Ukraine still have their conflict, then Joe Biden and his administration can blame all of their stuff on what's happening over there. High gas prices, war in Ukraine. Uh, supply chain issues, war in Ukraine. Somebody knocked up my daughter, war in Ukraine. Every single thing they want to say is happening is because of the war in Ukraine. So I don't know why we're shocked about anything. This is what they ran on, but apparently 80 plus million people said, hot damn, sign me up for it. I don't want to pay my taxes for the first time ever. Honest to God, it hit me. I'm sitting there looking at money. We could have built like a, a 10 walls, 15 walls across our border with the money we have sent elsewhere. You're talking about that money showing up on the black market. I'm reading about the freaking FBI paying Twitter like $4 million to spy on us. Who the hell wants to pay taxes anymore given where the money is going? But if you don't pay taxes, yeah. I guarantee you they will find you. Now, keep in mind, here's a little bit of a, uh, what you need to know about what's happening with our FBI and some of our IRS agents in this country. If you don't pay taxes, you, just a regular blue class 
uh, working American, they will find you and treat you like you are a terrorist. However, if you come just walking right across the border, they're going to try to find a ballot to put in your hand next year, and you're going to be completely fine. So that's what's happening here. And you mentioned it earlier, 80, 80 uh, federal agents were working with Twitter, according to the Twitter files that were dumped out. 80. Now, how many of those uh, 80 FBI agents do you think could have been doing something a little bit more productive, whether that's keeping an eye on potential school shooters? The lunatic down in Parkland, Florida, went on YouTube and said that he wanted to be a famous school shooter. And then the FBI is like, well, we, we, we didn't see that coming. They act like Ted Knight and Caddyshack. <laughs> but yet they have 80 people working with Twitter, the IRS. They want to come after taxpayers like you, like myself. Yet look at all of these cheats going on. It was like trying to pull teeth to get this loser with the white man afro that frauded people of billions of dollars to come back from the Bahamas to face justice. But you and I are late on our taxes for like one day. There's knocks on the door and there's emails and there's letters and there's phone calls and it's hell breaking loose. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, 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 again, I, it, it drives me back blank crazy. Do you think we've talked about the Twitter files? Emma Joe Morris is one of the great guests. I never tell shows who to put on their show, but she is tremendous with we've all had her. of this. Yeah, she's unbelievable. She's fun, too, funny, uh, irreverent, everything else. I got to ask you, I'll ask you the same question that I asked her three, four, two, four, five years from now. What are the Twitter files that Musk is releasing? What are they? What are consequences? Are there consequences for anybody, Hammer? There should be consequences. Somebody should go to jail. But if we're having a real adult, grown-up conversation here, I think you already know how this ends. We're going to see more damning information come out. We're going to find out that uh, the United States government paid to play with Twitter. And they absolutely shaped not one, but two elections. They did this. The evidence is there. And here's what's going to happen. The Republican House, they're going to convene in January. They're going to get together. They're going to have a hearing. You may see Jack Dorsey. You may see Yoel Roth. And there'll be great sound bites. Boy, well, there'll be great sound bites. You're going to hear Jim Jordan bring the heat. You're going to hear Matt Gates bring the heat. Oh, man, it's going to be great. And nothing will happen. That's right. We'll talk about it. We'll have sound bites to share. Lots of got you, I told you so moments. But if you think any of these people are going to jail, you're being naive. Because that's how it works in this country. Is it fair? Hell no. But that's exactly how it's going to be. People like the Clintons. People like Jack Dorsey. And they don't go to jail. They don't go to jail in this country. So that's what's going to happen. Now, what should happen is somebody needs to go to prison. Somebody needs to be going to federal prison because what happened with the military here? Not because of the election stuff, because everybody's a part of that kind of stuff. But if this is true, and the emails shown in the Twitter files back it up, that the United States military and the Pentagon was basically doing some sort of operation deal with Twitter, then Twitter is nothing more than state-run media. That's the one thing that they said they never wanted to be was state-run media. And it sounds like the Pentagon was exactly that with Twitter. That's not okay. That is a problem. Somebody needs to be locked up. You know, um, 
when you look at the state of our country, one of the amazing things is this. It's not like regular people are thriving. So regular folks, you know, Biden is uh, yelling about, well, look at gas prices are down. Well, they're still up a buck and change from when you came in. Look at this. Look at that. Regular. But we don't have a voice. And this is getting increasingly frustrating. We can complain. We can sit here. We can. But we don't we don't ever see a consequence for anybody not taking care of the United States with the tax dollars we give to the people in charge with taking care of the United States. And it's almost like we all fall on deaf ears. Because they win elections. And this is a problem with the Republicans. Again, let's not get it twisted here. The Republicans have problems. All right, congratulations. You won the House in the midterm election. Look at what's going on the last two years between the crime, the fentanyl, the supply chain, everything else going on, the prices of everything going up year to year. You barely squeaked by in the midterms with all of that sitting right there for you. So that tells me there's a problem in leadership. Like, if you were a Democrat, why would you want to change anything? Yeah, people like us are going to say, we're getting the shaft here. But they picked up Senate seats. You know, they're you know leading in a lot of uh, these polls, depending on who the Republicans run for the president. Uh, a lot of the polls show if it's Donald Trump, he gets beat. Now, if it's DeSantis, we got a ball game. But the fact of the matter is that as long as the Republicans keep doing the same asinine things over and over again. It's going to be the same results here, coach. We can bitch, we can complain, but the the Democrats are going to say, well, clearly you guys like this because you keep voting for it. The Democrats won Senate seats. They gained Senate seats after everything we had the last two years because the Republicans can't move their head from their anus. There has to be better leadership. There has to be better candidates. As much as I liked watching Herschel Walker highlight films of him giving stiff arms, did anybody really think that due to Senate material? Uh, same thing in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania decided to go with a stroke victim that doesn't know his left from his right, that opens up speeches by saying, hello, good night, everybody, because they decided to run Dr. Oz against him. Now, Dr. Oz might be a nice guy and a sharp cat, but he's not from Pennsylvania the dude from New Jersey. So yeah, that rubbed people the wrong way. The Republicans have to get their act together or the Democrats are going to keep saying, well, you guys like all this stuff. We're going to keep it going. We're going to keep playing the hits. We're giving the people what they want. That's the problem. All right, let's get to the issue of the day. Will you please? Is Jeff Saturday done here in Indianapolis? Can can we end the Jeff Saturday experiment? Or you know what? This ain't on him. He yeah, you know, he inherited a mess. What are your thoughts? Come on. It needs to be done. And listen, man, I wanted Jeff Saturday to work. Uh, I like Jeff Saturday. And after that Raiders game, it seemed like a breath of fresh air. Okay, dude comes off the couch, beats Josh McDaniels. I can get with that. But it turns out that it's pretty easy to beat Josh McDaniels, and a lot of people could come off the couch and do that. No, his clock management has been embarrassing. It's been embarrassing. And coach, explain this to me, because I know every fan probably says this, and you've been a radio host for a long time. Why are so many coaches so bad with clock management? Oh. People playing Madden video games at home can do better clock management than a lot of coaches. And Jeff Saturday falls into that category. And the thing that rubs me the wrong way more than anything else is that means that somewhere 
that Bill Cower is smiling and he <laughs> feels like he's justified. That snarling mustache having just curmudgeon feels like he's justified in everything that he said. And that makes me want to throw up. <laughs> hey, I'm with you on that. I'll give you the clock management. I said this the other day, Hammer. I, I don't know if you watched uh, Monday Night Football. Uh, Brett, or not Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers gets the ball with nine minutes to go, 8.57. And I watch this stuff because it drives me bat blank crazy. They never snap the ball with more than two seconds on the play clock, ever, ever. They run it, short pass it. They literally, they being Green Bay, take a knee on the two-yard line. They ran the entire nine minutes off the freaking clock by not snapping the ball with 20 seconds on the play clock. Colts are up 33. They're snapping it in the third quarter with like 20 seconds on the play clock, and I'm screaming, you idiots, shorten the game. Four corners, hammer time. Four corners. And it's not the first time. I mean, how many times have we seen Jeff Saturday butcher timeouts, let a lot of clock run off? Uh, it's not going to work. Now, it sounds like, you know, Jeff Saturday could be in the mix for some other role in the organization. He could go back to being a consultant. It depends on what they want to do with Chris Ballard. Now we're hearing chatter that Ballard might survive this thing and come back next year. I don't know. Saturday, I think, is going to have some sort of role, but I don't think it's going to be the head coach, man. Let me ask you this question because you are a reasonable guy, all right? If you are Jimmy Ursay, can you trust Chris Ballard to draft and can you trust Chris Ballard to get or to give him his not first, not second, not third, but fourth freaking head coach? Would you trust Chris Ballard with that? I don't think he has a choice. Like, if I were Jim Ursay, I would try to find a new general manager. But if you're going to ride the lightning here with Chris Ballard, you don't have a choice. No, you that's don't what have I'm saying. Would you try to find a new one? It depends on who's available, but I would. I would try to find somebody else. Think about this. Look at the AFC South. We're not talking about the NFC East. We're not talking about, you know, the AFC East. This is one of, if not the worst divisions in football, like the NFC South and the AFC South, both just train wrecks. You couldn't win this division. Look what's happening this year. The Jags, the Jags control their own destiny. They're one game out. If they run the table, they win the division. Jacksonville, all the Colts had to do was not stink. Just be mediocre. Be mediocre, and you're playing meaningful football games in Week 17. Maybe you win and get in. Maybe you win and get help. I don't know. But you're playing a meaningful football game in Week 17. Chris Ballard and this team could not do that. And I don't know what's happened with that offensive line. There's a lot of money invested in that. There's a lot of first-rounders. But all of a sudden, the $20 million man, Quentin Nelson, couldn't block a dead, dead person. It's bad. Everything on this team right now, Coach, stinks. All right, let's take a broader view before I let you go of the NFL. I think people in general, whether it's Colts fans, Steelers fans, uh, Chiefs fans, uh, Rams fans, you name it, celebrated a little bit inside unless they had money on it when Jacoby Myers of the Patriots made arguably a dumber play than what Chuck Pagano did with the Colts against the Patriots. Seeing the Patriots 
be so stupid and lose because of stupidity warm the heart of every NFL fan not betting on the Patriots. Would you agree with that? I was an NFL fan betting on the Patriots, Coach. Let me tell you what happened to me this past weekend. All right, so Saturday night. Let's start with Saturday night. I had Bills minus six. I got the line early, and I felt pretty good about that. Snow game in Buffalo. The lowest QBR ratings Tua has ever had has been when the temperature has been like below 40. So I felt good about this. Late in the game, Buffalo going in to score. The Dolphins letting them score. My man Singletary goes down at the two. Doesn't even get the first down. Goes down at the two. They kick the field goal. I don't cover. So I'm a little surly about that. But there's always the next day. And I had the Patriots plus two, which was looking pretty good with about three and a half, four minutes to go. And then you give up the touchdown to the Raiders. And then that final play, like that final play, all they have to do is take a knee or get tackled. I got a puncher's chance in overtime. No. I get beat on that. So as far as I'm concerned, everybody in the Patriots organization can take a one-way ticket to hell. I don't care if it's Christmas or not. Take a sleigh ride to hell because they cost me money in that game. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying if you – like, hey, look, I didn't bet on it. I would just – I think I was traveling that I saw it, and I'm like, yeah, even though I like <laughs> Belichick, even though – you know, I, I think he's a great coach. I Internally, it just pleased me. Let me put it to you that. And I know we haven't talked about this, and I'm putting you on the spot. You got a degenerate or you got anything for this afternoon in terms of gambling? Oh, man. Who's playing this afternoon? I haven't looked. I don't even know. Don't worry about it. I don't, I don't know. I didn't even look. Uh, but I know when I got you on, if there's a degenerate, you got the degenerate. But I thought maybe you had one. Don't worry I'll about tweet it. one out on my Twitter, at Jason Allen Hammer. I'll give the people what they want. You want a game nobody cares about, I'll give you a pick on it. Damn right. Congrats on the number one show. Well-deserved. You guys are awesome. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate all your support. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas to you and the entire Hammer clan. Hey, I'm telling you, at Jason Allen Hammer, the degenerate special is like, Grand Canyon against Gulliford or something, and it hits like 99% of the time with my man Hammer. Uh, all right, we come back. I got a lot of headlines to get to, including for you Colts fans. What the hell's happening with Jonathan Taylor? Some dude, and I don't get the I don't get where this guy can complain. His name is Zach Levine uh, with the freaking Bulls. He's whining. We're gonna talk more politics, more sports, and our friend Amando Sagara is going to join us as well at top of the hour. Stay right here. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, welcome. The YouTube chat is out here and it is bumping as well. Thanks to everybody for that kind of action. You know what? This is a great time in sports. A lot of us are together with family. I certainly am. You got football games going. You got basketball. Uh, but one thing I did not actually anticipate was controversy, oh, I don't know, in the free agent market of baseball, like of baseball. 
Now, what do you think about that? Baseball free agent controversy. Here's how free agent signings usually go. Guy says, all right, I am going to go to this team. They're going to give me an outrageous deal, and I sign the deal. Isn't that normally how it goes? And if you're in basketball, well, then the deal is stupid money, and it makes everybody else jealous. I remember when my friend Pat McAfee was uh, watching the free agent signings when he was still playing with the Colts. He was watching the free agent signings of basketball, and he tweeted out, hey, NFLPA, get like the NBA PA. Look at the money that they are getting. Well, uh, we had a stunning turn of events in baseball. Carlos Correa, who is terrific, uh, he was supposed to go on a massive 13-year, $350 million contract to guess where? San Francisco. He was. That's where he was headed. Something happened with the physical. There is a disagreement. His agent, Scott Boris, who is always in the middle of this stuff, uh, a bit of a disagreement with the physical given to him, Correa, with the uh, San Francisco Giants. So what happened? Middle of the night. Carlos Correa has agreed, not with the Giants, to a 12-year, $315 million contract with the New York Mets. How about that? The New York Mets. It fell apart, uh, and the Mets swooped in. Now, you got to give Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, credit. Here's why I say that. He's being aggressive. He understands two things. One, he's in New York. And if I'm going to be in New York, I better win games. If I'm going to be in New York, I got money to win games. The second thing he understands is I got to deal with the Yankees in my own town. So I better get star power. Guess what? Correa, star power. This reminds me of George Steinbrenner back in the day when Steinbrenner said, screw this. Hey, I got the New York Yankees. We're going to get Catfish Hunter. We're going to get Reggie Jackson. Chris Chandler, get over here. I know you were Rookie of the Year uh, over there with the Indians. We ain't messing around. There was an undisclosed medical concern that arose during the physical. Now, let me explain this to you. Now, we're young in this show. We're like a year in. But everybody, anytime, anywhere that listens to any program that I do will understand this one simple truth. There's always a backstory. Always. Don't believe anything that you read up front as gospel. In these instances, there's always a backstory. I look, I'm nobody. Player, nobody. Coach, no, nobody. But every article every written, ever written on me was one wrong, two. Didn't tell the backstory. He left West Virginia. Didn't tell the backstory. He was going to be the head coach at Indiana. Didn't tell the backstory. He wasn't the coach at Indiana. Didn't tell the backstory. Rotten guy. Didn't tell the backstory. Backstory, backstory. So I'm not buying the medical concern at all. I'm buying a convenient excuse for Carlos Correa to get to New York. That's what I'm buying. Let's be honest. San Francisco, while a really good organization, really good, it's not New York. It's not. And the Mets are now attractive. Why? For the reason 
I just said. Steve Cohen, part of something that is fan-freaking-tastic. All right, so that's been covered. Let's talk headlines. Jonathan Taylor, my guy. I love Jonathan Taylor, running back of the Colts. This affects fantasy players because Jonathan Taylor, even though he's only played in 11 games this year, and he's really only been a part-time guy this year, I didn't realize this. I, I was doing my due diligence for the show this morning. I didn't realize Jonathan Taylor has run for 861 yards this year. Week five, week six, week nine, he had an ankle. Ankle's been bothering him the entire year. Colts decided to shut him down. Jonathan Taylor shut down IR by the Colts. I'm sad about that because, frankly, you know what? What's the right word? Dude's a good dude. He's a really, 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 really good dude. Like, no BS, legit, great dude. The kind of guy that you want to see in the Hall of Fame. The kind of guy that you want to see really good things happen to. I already talked about Carlos Correa. I got a little bit out of line. And Dylan and Tyler and Ryan, I apologize. But, hey, that's the show. All right, let's talk about the Masters. The Masters is the best golf tournament to watch in the country in golf. Tell you why. If you are a golfer or you are a golf fan, you know the holes. You know 13, you got a birdie, even though they changed it. You know 15, you got a birdie. You know on Sunday, they're going to put the pin over here, and if you hit a shot, it's going to go down the hill, and it might go in the hole. You know on 18, you got to drive it through this. You know the course. It's awesome. Is it the toughest course? No. They've made it tougher this year. Is it the prettiest course? I would argue yes. I was lucky enough to go to the Masters. I got to tell you, I did not see, and a friend of mine challenged me. He said, find a weed. Find a weed. Find a weed anywhere. Find a weed. You know what I did not find? I didn't find a weed. No weeds. Pretty good. Anyway, long story short, um, the Masters, I like what they did. They invited the 17 live golfers. For those of you that don't know, the live tours, the Saudi tour, a lot of guys left, including Cam Smith, Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, And the PGA Tour is the other tour that you're used to seeing. All right. The Masters said, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to abide by our, provision, our, our, our rules. Our rules say... These 17 guys, Mickelson, Cam Smith, Kepka, DJ, Bubba Watson, Sergio, you know, they're all in. And I'm glad about that. Look, politics in sports bores me. Politics in sports makes me lift the leg. I got gas. Plain and simple. Gives me gas. Gives me angina. I don't even know what angina is, but it's an old Jewish term. You're giving me the angina. Anyway, it does. So I don't care about the politics. I don't care about Tiger Woods and his sanctimonious self along uh, with what's-his-face Roy McIlroy telling me that Greg Norman should leave the lift. I don't care about any of them. Play golf. Fat. Ass. Seat. Watch. Bet. Fun. That's it. That's all we should be doing. So good for the Masters. Good for them putting this in. I applaud it. Yay, rah. Go fight, win, and don't ever screw that up, including you guys at the U.S. Open. Hey, guess who's back, back, back? OJ's back, back, 
back. For those of you that don't understand the significance of O.J. Simpson, June 7th, 1994, you can look it up. O.J. Simpson, after allegedly, at least proven in civil court, that he murdered Ronald Goldman and his wife, Nicole Brown Smith, Simpson, whatever, uh, she got murdered because of a jealous rage. He, Ronald Goldman, got murdered because allegedly, again, I'm sure there's a backstory, uh, he uh, was bringing her her glasses from a restaurant called Mezzaluna. Simpson was there, lost his mind, went on the attack. It became a, a chase, June 17th, 1994. White Bronco going down the street, cops all over, people siding with OJ. He was going to kill himself, blah, 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 blah. But here's what you maybe don't understand. Before this, O.J. Simpson was a beloved icon. To this day, in airports, if I see somebody running, I say to myself or out loud, go, O.J., go, or run, O.J., run. We were talking about this last night, were we not, Lee? Yes. Run, O.J., run. And then, I, and then I catch myself, and I go, oh, wait, you can't say that anymore because you're supporting a murder. You know what I'm saying? You can't do it. You got to go, go, OJ, go. No, wait. No, no, no. I didn't say that. But OJ Simpson, the isotoner gloves, which is ironic. And then there was a lady named Marcia Clark. Marcia Clark, in the dumbest move in the history of prosecutorial trials, decided to have OJ Simpson put on his glove. The glove, the hand was spread. It had a surgical glove on it. And Johnny Cochran sat there and laughed as Marcia Clark's dumb, you know what? said, hey, put on the glove. Johnny Cochran famously said, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Fast forward, OJ, jail, out, acquitted, whatever. He appears on a podcast. OJ Simpson swears he's going to find the murderers. He's not going to rest. Well, when last seen, OJ Simpson was on, I don't know, a golf course. OJ Simpson was on, oh, I don't know. Twitter. But O.J. Simpson was on a podcast the other day. And let's hear from the great one, the great O.J. Simpson. Are you upset that the like the killer of Ron and Nicole was never found? Uh, right now, I'm not going to discuss any of that. All right. Yeah, you, yeah, I think that's a pretty obvious question, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm not getting in that. I'm not going there. You don't think that they're still out there? Uh, I'm not I'm not going there. I, you know, if I will give him this, that's not a terrible answer. I think that's a pretty obvious answer. That's not a terrible answer. That's the answer that one should give. I think it's an obvious answer because if I, if he didn't do it, which if you've read any books, including the mad Jacker, what's that guy's name? Jeffrey Tubin. I read his book. Really good book. And then he became the Mad Jacker at CNN. But I don't, hey, look, I don't know what to tell you. Before he became the Mad Jacker, he wrote a good book on the O.J. Simpson trial. I've read so many books on this trial that if Simpson didn't do it, first he did. There's no question about it. But if he didn't, that's the right answer. Don't you think that's the right answer, Lee? They asked him, are you mad that the, that the guy's out there? And he said, it's an obvious, yeah, it's an obvious, obviously I am. I'm not answering that question because it's an obvious answer. Yes, that's the right answer. I'm not saying he. You know, right? Yep, right answer. That's the right answer. I mean, wrong guy, right answer. But hey, so anyway, they haven't found 
the killer. He hasn't looked because all you got to do is look in the mirror. But it is one of the great sociological experiments. If you want to see something interesting that encapsulated it at the time, there is a picture. I think it's in the Smithsonian now. You can look it up. Indiana University Memorial Union. This picture was literally in every newspaper in the country. When O.J. Simpson was acquitted, there were a bunch of students, black and white, gathered around a TV. They had this huge TV at Indiana University in the Union. The white kids are going like this. The black kids are going like this. And it absolutely encapsulated what the feeling was during that time. African-American folks felt like they were persecuted by the cops. They were overzealous. There was all kinds of things going in L.A. And white people thought that O.J. Simpson simply killed somebody. It was a lot. It was. It's deeper than that, but it was a lot. And that picture tells you a bunch. I mean, a bunch. If you get a chance, uh, check it out. Anyway, I just thought of that. Um, But anyway, long story short, interesting and good questions and a good answer actually. All right. Zach Levine and the Bulls. When you drive up I-65 up to my hometown from Indianapolis North and you get to, I don't know about, I go by mile markers. My parents taught me about mile markers and it's driven me bat blank crazy ever since. Okay. It, It drives me crazy. But anyway, relative to mile markers, you get about 250. Zach Levine, This guy that plays for the Bulls is all over. And it's some medical company. His agent apparently did a good job. That's the only way, other than a slam dunk contest, that anyone would ever know who in the Sam hell Zach Levine is. But Zach Levine is apparently mad at the Bulls. Now, here's why this is interesting and on our show. On Sunday, Zach Levine's teammates after giving up 150 points, the Bulls did, had to be separated. They were throwing hands. They were in the locker room. Levine wasn't having it. His teammates weren't having it with him. They were throwing hands. Here's what I like about it. Yesterday, next time they play, guess what happened? Bulls won. Bulls won. They beat the Heat. Levine ain't happy. Teammates aren't happy with him. DeRozan and Levine don't get along, but this is what I'm trying to tell you adult men. Adult men can argue, they can scrap, they can get after it, they can get angry, they can fight, they can cuss, they can scream. But you know what? Adult men don't sulk. Adult men just go out after the argument and boom, they play. Do you remember the fight scene between the two cowboys in Yellowstone or the fight scene between Beth and the gal that's stooping her dad in Yellowstone? Do you remember those scenes? Those scenes teach you about the way the world should be. Men, go be men. You got to duke it out verbally, duke it out verbally. You got to duke it out physically, duke it out physically. Pull each other up, shake hands, and walk like men. That's what locker room should, and it's no different for women. Beth taught us that. They beat the crap out of each other, and guess what? Now they understand. Now they respect. Now they can get forward in whatever it is they're trying to do moving forward. It's the way of the world. That's why people always say to me, aren't you mad that guy wrote something about you? No. It's the way of the world, baby. I expect people to come at me in this job. And I'll come at that. It's no big deal to me. It never has been. It never will be. Uh, Yellowstone taught us that. 
So, Levine, I love this. They're not getting along, DeRozan and Levine. They're not playing. They're mad. They're going to throw hands. Well, guess what? Guess what? They threw their hands, and they went out and won. That's what I'm talking about. Every single human being that knows Matt Ishbia loves him. Loves him. You're asking me, who is Matt Ishbia? Matt Ishbia is a former walk-on at Michigan State. Matt, his brother, involved as well, went apparently to law school with Clay Travis. Matt became this billionaire, financier. Matt just bought, listen to this, for $4 billion, the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury. It is supposed to be completed coming up here in the near future, maybe by May. Don't know. Robert Sarver was the former owner of the Phoenix Suns. People got mad. Robert Sarver's mean. Robert Sarver's uh, misogynist. Robert Sarver's this, that, and the other. That's fine. Sarver had to sell. I said, don't sell if I'm Sarver because everything is crap. You can look at Draymond Green punching people. I don't want to hear about workplace violence. I don't want to hear about it. Anyway, 50, or excuse me, $4 billion. That's the sale. This guy, Matt Ishbia, was a walk-on at Michigan State when Mateen Cleaves and Antonio Smith uh, won, or Smith didn't, but the Flintstones won a national championship. So I was talking to my friend Dane Fife yesterday about Matt Ishbia. And here's what he had to say. And this is what resonates with me. He said, yeah, you know, Matt takes care of all of the guys that he played with. If you have paid attention to any of it, you know that Mateen Cleaves and some of these guys have gotten into some types of trouble, all right? Well, Ishbia and Antonio Smith, who was a player there, I think was homeless for a bit. Ishbia decides, I'm going to take care of those guys. That's what I like. He's worth, apparently, $4.7 billion. His brother, Justin, is worth $2.1 billion. This is a record for a sale. This is a record in the NBA. And what I like about this is that by every account, Matt Ishbia is a great dude. Great dude. Um, he started this company selling mortgages in 04, um, barely broke even through 06. And then he said, screw this. Um, in the 07 08 financial, crisis. Uh, his company wasn't issuing subprime loans. When they collapsed the bigger outfits for issuing subprime loans, the Ishpias scooped in and by 2009 were loaning out more than $2 billion, And next thing you know, boom. Good people, being smart, making money is what I like. Great for the NBA. Great for Phoenix. Great for the Phoenix Mercury and great for those of us that want to see good people involved in sports. That's what I think should happen in damn near everything. I'm not talking about good people that the media deems good people. I mean, let's be honest. You saw Mari Stoudemire get arrested the other day. 
Look, there's a guy on ESPN, Harry Lyles, uh, uh, Jalen Rose, Amari Stoudemire. They're going to get a new show. Hell, Lyles been arrested, DUI, DUI for Rose. Now this guy, hey, in some and media will tell us what great guys these are. They ain't great guys. There's a difference between the media telling us who great guys are and who are actually great guys. Ishbia's great dudes. That is fantastic for the NBA. Our last thing on Ishbia, he has damn near had to beg, I mean beg, beg Izzo to take his money to pay NIL deals. And Izzo isn't taking his money for NIL deals. I like Izzo. I get in an argument with Izzo. Five years ago, go back and look up Izzo just crushing me. We went back. We MF'd each other. That's right, we did. On the phone and via text. If we ever exposed our texts to each other, it'd be great. You're a piece of blah, 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 blah. But you know what? We're friends now, and it's awesome. I love it. I do. I absolutely love it. That's what men do. What we're doing on this show, we're bringing men back. Not you whiny little weasels. We're bringing men back. All right, speaking of men, Amando Sagara, who is, according to Jennifer, on our YouTube chat, the happiest man in America. He is going to join us when we come back. We must discuss a couple of things. We must discuss the NFL. I've got to get into this. Do the freaking Miami Dolphins have a great path? Is the Cincinnati are the Cincinnati Bengals the best team right now in the AFC? Is is and more is are we real with the Detroit Lions in terms of Dan Campbell becoming the coach of the year? Armando joins us next. Can't wait. We'll be right back. Salute to men being freaking men. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Armando joins. That means we're going to talk about the NF of L. Ladies and gentlemen, I said this yesterday, Armando. It was a thing of beauty to me what Aaron Rodgers did the last nine minutes. They held the ball. He snapped the damn ball with a second to go on the, on the play clock. It was brilliant. You've covered this league forever. Why is clock management such a pain in the you-know-what to coaches? Why can't they have somebody there helping them figure this out? Because a lot of the times you have uh, very young offensive coordinators that aren't great at it. Um, You saw that with the Buffalo Bills early in the season when they played the Miami Dolphins. They... They basically beat the Dolphins up and down the field, but at the end of the game, they couldn't get off the field and line up for a field goal in time. And, of course, Ken Dorsey went bananas in the booth. You've got young coaches that aren't good at it and aren't smart enough to hire somebody to game manage on their behalf. I've seen multiple times where new 
or young coaches realize that is my weak point. I'm going to find a coach on my staff who has a strong point there and then have him help me manage the game. But ego, Dan, steps in the way of a lot of that sometimes. And so not all coaches do that. Uh, Jeff Saturday comes to mind if someone that could use that kind of help. And then the other thing is quarterbacks. Um, you know, they're not all very good at managing the clock and even the good ones. I was in Buffalo last weekend and with eight seconds to play, Josh Allen, uh, the eight seconds to play it before halftime, he runs out the clock and God bless him. He's Josh Allen. He throws a miracle pass for a miracle touchdown all is well. But after the game, he recognized, I really screwed up because if that doesn't work, we don't get even a field goal to go into halftime. Are you sad today? Jennifer on our YouTube chat always says you are the happiest guest that there is. And she's at, she asked me to ask you, is Armando sad today? Is something going on? Well, I'm fighting a cold, Jennifer. And, you know, I'm doing my best. Here, big smile. Yay! <laughs> Ask and you shall receive. Um, I'm with you on Saturday. It, it was Jeff Saturday. It was driving me nuts. You got a 33 to nothing lead. You're snapping the ball with 20, 23 seconds on the play clock. You know, I, I don't care what anybody says. You do that, you're given an extra five minutes of game time to a team that doesn't need five minutes. Clock management should be on the front of every coach, every coordinator, every freaking quarterback's mind uh, up or down in a game. And it should be before the last two minutes of the game. Right. Uh, but you see, here's the problem, Dan. Most teams, a lot of teams, let's put it this way, they have priorities. And one of them is have a team good enough to get you to the last couple of minutes that you're in the game so that then you can manage the clock. And what you have in the NFL is about half a dozen teams where it doesn't matter what happens at the end of the game because they got blown out in the early parts, the middle parts of the game. And even if they didn't get blown out, they're you know down more than one possession. So that's number one. Then you've got the you know, the young guys that we just talked about. And then you've got the players that aren't experienced at it and don't think that they have to worry about it. They think all they have to do is perform. You know, I want to go to something. I have said this, and maybe there's an argument against this. I, I don't know. Jalen Hurts uh, may be out, may not. Mike Lombardi thought they were going to keep him out a couple weeks. I think he's the MVP, and I think he's the MVP going away. Am I wrong about that? Well, that's an opinion that a lot of people share, and, and I can see it right now. Here's what I would say to you, Dan. So Jalen Hurts has had a great year with a very good team around him, an outstanding team, right? If Gardner Minshew plays the next two games and produces like Jalen Hurts produces in that system with that team around him, that doesn't help Jalen Hurts. That hurts Jalen Hurts because, as Micah Parsons famously said, 
people will say it's the system. It's not Hertz. It's whoever is in that spot with all those people around him. Now, if Gardner Minshew comes in and he totally just, you know, just wets the bed and is, is not a functional guy, which is possible because, by the way, I've seen Gardner Minshew have games like that. Right. Then that helps Jalen Hurts' argument for MVP. You know, it, it is interesting. Uh, all right, let, let me ask you. Um, does the divorce of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, I mean, it, it's not even close. Does does the fact that Brady has <clears throat> has gone on to win a Super Bowl play in two and Belichick has been basically irrelevant, does that l- lessen the argument for Belichick? Um, for lessen the argument, you mean like for P- Hall of Fame or something no, like that? No, for him being the greatest of all time. Well, so here's the thing. I don't know any great coach who didn't have a great quarterback, right? Um, you look at every single great quote coach in the Hall of Fame, there's a great quarterback tied to that dude. The measure of greatness in a coach has been and always will be, what did you do with everybody else and did you maximize quarterbacks that maybe weren't great? And I'm going to steer you to, you see that background back here? Back here? The, yeah. The Miami Orange Bowl. There was a guy once upon a time named Don Shula who worked here. And he went to the Super Bowl with David Woodley. David Woodley went to the Super Bowl with Don Shula. Um, <laughs> that's amazing because David Woodley was not a good quarterback. Okay. Bill Belichick, who did he go to the Super Bowl with not named Tom Brady as the head coach? Oh, nobody. So with the greatest of all time, you're pretty good. You're darn good. Without the greatest of all time, you're kind of middling. And that wasn't a good look last week when your players. Uh, in a tie game against the Las Vegas Raiders on the final play of the game, lose their minds and start laddering the football back and forth, and it gets intercepted slash fumbled, and all of a sudden Chandler Jones is running over the quarterback and scoring a touchdown for the walk-off win. Not great of a look for the head coach who is supposed to prepare his team for those situations. It looked like they thought that they were down. It looked like Jacoby Myers thought we're losing here. And you know what? Uh, It is interesting because Jacoby Myers was one of the guys that was critical of Belichick and the coaching staff when they, when they were going back and forth with whether Mac Jones was starting. I got to go in uh, in your place right there, Miami. Give me your thoughts on the Dolphins, too, uh, as we sit here right now. Well, they've lost three in a row, so that's my first thought. Right. What the, hell, what the hell's going on with you people? That's my uh, second thought. And my third thought is they're still number the seventh seed. Um, look. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs or not. It would be a disastrous and, you know, epic collapse if they don't. But 
you know, I think that they will because I look at the teams behind them and I don't see a surefire team that's charging hard to getting into the playoffs. New England is behind them. The Jets are behind them. Jacksonville is behind them. Las Vegas is two games behind them. Which of those teams suggests to you we're going to win the final three games and we're going to be awesome and the Dolphins have no room for error? None of those teams to me are consistent. None of those teams to me say we're going to make a move. To me, those teams are what they are, what their record says that they are. And they're kind of, you know, eight and eight type teams. And I'm imagining maybe nine and eight. I'm imagining that's that's where you'll see them. And I can see the Dolphins winning two out of the last three. Do you think Dan Campbell is the coach of the year? Or at least, he, no, do you think Dan Campbell's the coach of the year? Well, I mean, um, kind of like the guy in Philadelphia. He's 13. Not bad. Man. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> uh, uh, <clears throat> Nick Sirianni's done a pretty good job now. Not bad. Yeah. He's got talent, but he's put that talent in the right place. And I yep. wouldn't say to you, you know, the, it's funny how narratives change. The narrative at the beginning of the year was, well, they're going to put talent around Jalen Hurts, and we'll see what happens with Jalen Hurts. We don't know if he's good or not, and if he's not, we'll replace him after the year. I know that Howie Roseman, the general manager, said that to people. Now the narrative is, yeah, Jalen Hurts is an MVP, and this is great. Well, someone developed Jalen Hurts from being a guy that nobody was certain about to being an MVP candidate, and that person is Nick Sirianni. I agree with you. I, I don't disagree. Uh, I think Nick. I think sometimes when a team plays like they have played throughout the year, we kind of take for granted the job that the coach is doing, and we look for somebody that started poorly, and yet, like Campbell, is making a move. I, I don't disagree uh, with you even a little bit. I want to go to something off. Um, because this is going to affect people or off the field. This is going to affect people. Is there any concern? You know, we used to get the Sunday ticket on direct TV, and now the Sunday ticket is up for, you know, and now YouTube TV is coming in. I am old, but I try to keep up. Is YouTube TV having the Sunday ticket a major issue for the NFL? Is it good? Is it bad for, for uh, customers like me? What is it? All right, so it's good for the NFL because um, YouTube will probably pay more than anybody else. Yeah. And so yeah. let me see. What business wants to go with someone paying less than someone else who's, out, you know, obviously offering to pay more? Nobody. Right. No, nobody. You know, so there's that. Is it good for you and me and the millions of other people who want to watch Sunday Ticket? I know this. When I watch the Amazon live stream, I'm not a big fan of live stream because I I put it on my television and I monitor the game. Um, there's this website that has play-by-play of every game. It's an NFL website. And the television is a play or two 
behind the actual action. We've all heard that television has a seven second delay. This is like a 47 second delay, sometimes, you know, a minute. And when you're talking about the NFL, they run a play every 30 seconds. So, yeah, it's problematic for me. And anyone that wants the action when it actually happens, they're going to see that streaming is not great. Maybe the technology catches up, but at this point, it's not there. You know, it's funny you say that because I like to look at live betting during NFL games on draft uh, draft kings. And on the Thursday night game in particular, DraftKings is so far ahead of what the game is. Like, I'll tell my wife, oh, there's going to be a good play here, right? Or I'll tell my wife, oh, there's going to be a bad play here based on, you know, minus 120 to minus 350. It's interesting you say – now, I'm a big fan of live streaming because that's where I'm making my money right now on live streaming. But I get exactly what you're saying, Armando. It is too far behind, no question about it. Well, you just said no question about it about 30 seconds ago. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, you're right. I get it. Yes. And, and, but here's the thing. Um, with your show, people are tuning in. There is no alternate website to tell them what you're saying in advance of what you say. With the NFL, there are websites that give you the the play-by-play as it yeah. happens the betting, as you mentioned, as it happens. And that is frustratingly behind what the actual action is. Franco Harris was a guy that when I was 10 years old, I know exactly where I was and the immaculate reception happened. There wasn't really, as we've seen, there's only one camera angle and they didn't even have that they had to find that camera angle he passed away one of the all-time great runners I'm so old I remember him and Lydell Mitchell at Penn State for crying out loud what are your thoughts on the passing of 72 year old Franco Harris Armando well obviously it's terrible for um you know all of us really that that are NFL fans and and love the legacy of the NFL more and more today, young people don't think about legacy and what came before. They're only worried about their phones, what's on their phones, and and what's happening now on Twitter or social media. And they don't even have conversations with each other. They text. I grew up in a generation where people talked, and it was the immaculate reception. It was the Oakland Raiders being great. It was the 72 Dolphins being perfect. It was the 80s and, you know, Dan Marino had the Afro and the and 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 disco was big. Uh, you know, all that. That's when I grew up. Uh, so, obviously, the, the passing of Franco Harris is terrible. Um, look, 72 years to me feels kind of early, but that generation definitely is passing. Um, I, I know for a fact every single coach on the perfect season Miami Dolphins, 1972, the same year as what Franco Harris did that immaculate reception, 
Every single coach on the 72 perfect season Dolphins is dead. And, you know, 16 of the 48 players are dead. So uh, this just in, people get old and die. Not happy about that. Now that I turn 60, I'm not happy about that. 72 seems like a toddler to me. It seems like, you know what was interesting? He was interviewed just yesterday by Chris Russo um, on Russo's Mad Dog Sports Show. I, you know what? The whole idea of, you know, embrace life is just such a incredible, incredible deal. Um, last thing before I let you go, because we're getting close, Armando. Um, Black Monday, where coaches get let go. Are we going to see? I'm just. I don't. I don't necessarily. Hey, this guy's going to get fired. Are we going to see more patience with coaches, particularly a couple first year guys like Hackett? Uh, you know, maybe Kingsbury. I don't know. Are we going to see impatience with coaches a few weeks from now? Yeah, I'm not feeling a whole lot of patience in Denver. No. Nathaniel Hackett was has stepped on one landmine after another. And let me see. They're four and ten. Is that good? No, it's not good. That's bad. And it's not just bad, bad. It's like embarrassing bad in the way that he's managed it and done things. Uh early in the season. We didn't know that, you know, obviously Russell Wilson was a diminished player. And so he takes the, he decides to take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands, especially in that first game and tries to kick like a 68 yard field goal or something like that in the first game. Ridiculous decision. Later on in the season, when we know that Russell Wilson is diminished, he puts the ball in Russell Wilson's hand. And, so, and yeah. his defense is, I'm always going to put the ball in Russell Wilson's hand. When everybody else knows, he's diminished. We figured it out. Everybody figured it out except for Nathaniel Hackett. And so uh, just weird stuff like that. It, it's not great. Um, I, I think that. Father Time himself, Lovey Smith uh, in Houston. You don't go one and twelve, one twelve and one currently, and you don't have the first overall pick uh, and keep your job, in my estimation. Now, obviously, the Texans may decide we blew out our coach last year, one and done. We can't be doing this every year. And my answer to that is yes, you can. When the coach isn't good enough, you absolutely can. And I get it. The Texans have played hard under the Lovey Smith. And, you know, they, he hasn't lost the locker room. But he's lost everything else, including games, which is kind of the, the end all and be all. Yeah, the whole playing hard. Here's what I learned. When I was coaching at Bowling Green, I coached there for 10 years as the head coach. Seven of those years, I lost my two best players. Five of those years, I lost my three best players, okay? And during the year, we would play our brains out. And the AD and the fans are like, man, this is the greatest coaching job I've ever seen. 
holy cow, you guys won the league without two, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, you know what it came down to? You got beat. That's it. So while we're going through it, and this is what I say about the Texans and Lovey Smith, Armando, I agree. They're battling everybody, man. They're, you know, and I'm sure on Monday, Lovey's in there and the owner's like, this is great. But you know what happens at the end of the season? You got a record. These are your wins. These are your losses. And then the decision has to be made. That's what I learned in, in 25, 29 years of college coaching right there. Yeah. So I, I look at those two situations and obviously Jeff Saturday is gone after this season. Yeah. Um, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. Uh, he, that doesn't look like a, like a maintainable situation either. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in New Orleans. I know that Sean Payton is still out there, so there's that. And yeah, those are the those are the ones that I would be looking at. Well, Sean Payton, like if I'm Sean Payton, I'm not saying a word. I'm going to play one against the other, figure out where I can win, and that's it. Like he doesn't need the money, and if he does then he's going to screw up this money anyway because he's already made a fortune. But I'm looking one thing and one thing only. Where can I freaking win? That's it. Money be damned. Winning is all that matters if I'm getting back into it as Sean Payton. Right. The perfect situation, everything else being equal for Sean Payton, would be the Los Angeles Chargers because they have yeah. a great young quarterback that they're kind of wasting. Um, they're, they're a middling kind of team, uh, that's eight and six and, you know, they have talent to be better. The problem is the, the chargers don't love to pay. And you mentioned the money not being a big deal, except that it's a big deal to Sean Payton. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm saying you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be if I were him. It, it just, it wouldn't be, you're going to make a ton. I want to win. I, I don't – this is like my last shot here, right? I, I got to go. Hey, Justin Herbert, that's my guy. Let's go. That was how I'd look at it. Right. Uh, all those other places that we've discussed as possibly being coach openings, their quarterback situation is not great. Right. I mean, maybe Arizona where they have Kyler Murray, if you believe in Kyler Murray. I'm not a big Kyler Murray guy. And so – if you think that you can turn him into something, you know, help him reach his potential, then fine. Sean Payton has experience with shorter quarterbacks in like Drew Brees. Right. But Houston doesn't have a quarterback. Denver has a 34 year old. Um, I, I, I'm not seeing a whole lot of there, there for Sean, for Sean Payton to step in, have his quarterback, and turn that thing around like that, like he did in New Orleans. I, I, I totally agree. And I don't, I'll be honest, and I, I don't know anything about it, but I, it looks to me like Kyler Murray is not a great guy to deal with on a day to day basis. Now, I don't know. I'm talking about from a coaching standpoint, when you got to put in the studying thing, regardless of whether that was right or wrong, the thought that you got to put that in, and I'm thinking of it as a coach, you know what I want? I want Peyton freaking Manning working out wide receivers the day they're having their introductory press conference, you know, at six in the morning, or I want, 
you know, whoever. I want Jalen Hurts out there squatting 6,000 pounds because he works harder than everybody. That's what I want. You know what I mean? Now, I don't know Murray. I just know that when you put that four-hour ridiculous thing in, there's a reason they wanted to put that in is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's been a, a, a ridiculously terrible season for the Cardinals aside from their record. And you mentioned the the homework clause that suggests right. to you that the organization didn't trust Kyler Murray, right? You You look at Kyler Murray's, you know, lack of durability, which is a thing now. Uh, you look at the fact that he's had moments where he turned on his coach in public, openly, on the sideline. Players have turned on each other. You had the general manager stepping away under curious circumstances. You had the coach that went to Mexico and got fired, supposedly, allegedly, for groping somebody. Uh, it's just it's a situation where the whole thing needs a revamp. And I think that a Sean Payton type of revamp would serve them well. I agree with that. I, I, I do. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, and again, you mentioned it. He, he knows how to use a quarterback regardless of size. He doesn't need the big, you know, Justin Herbert. He can do it with different guys. Armando, let's get better, my friend. We'll take NyQuil, DayQuil together. We'll do shots of whiskey. What the hell? I mean, we'll just figure it out and get better, you know? <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Thanks, brother. All right. Yeah, under the weather. I'm under the weather. My mother-in-law, actually, and I yesterday, I go, look, it's about 4 o'clock. I feel like crap. She, I go, let's have a little bit of a snort. And uh, that helped. I got a what the hell Wednesday. I didn't know who Salt Bay was. Do you know who Salt Bay is? Chris Chiefsaholic is a maniac. We got all kind of stuff going on here. All right, stay right here. We got a show for you that never quits. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, save $30 on the American-made Steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, look, I have no idea who these people are. You do, I don't. Uh, Somebody explain to me who this clown Salt Bay is. Look, here's my deal. If I were the World Cup people, I'd fire somebody. Because this jackass being on the field of a World Cup is nuts. All right. here We have a little video of this guy. Basically, um, I don't know. This dude is holding the trophy. He's, he's involved. He's some kind of guy that is, I don't know, is he a TikTok guy? What is he? Some guy that is on a uh, show, and he looks exactly like what you would think some douchebag named Salt Bay would look like. Kind of like Kevin Hart after Philadelphia. Why is it always these little guys? Why is it always these little, little guys that run around and try to act like they are something? Look, I don't blame the guy. If you're going to let him on the field – then he's going to have memories of a lifetime. But I looked up who this guy Salt Bay is. Now, with all due respect to all of you little influencers out there, 
Uh, you all suck. He's a butcher, a chef, a food entertainer. His technique for preparing and seasoning meat became a uh, internet meme. He is a Turkish douchebag. I mean, guy. Uh, yeah. So apparently, um, he had a New York steakhouse that was described by the New York Times as public, or the New York Post, which is actually the more credible of the New York newspapers, public ripoff number one. Now, anytime you see a guy dressed like that, you know it is public ripoff number one. One, you know it is going to be. He's been involved in a lot of different stuff, including in September of 20. His restaurant in Boston was closed by public health officials because it did not, it did not meet any type of standards. People are uncomfortable around this guy. Get him out. Make him go away. Uh, I'm going to make a little rhyme. Make him go away. I don't care for Salt Bay, and I'm sorry, I'm very sorry that I actually gave this idiot uh, a couple minutes of our precious airtime. I'm not happy with it. I'm not happy with it at all. Uh, anyway, all right. Chiefs Superfan. Now, anytime you put the name Superfan to somebody, they're generally a dumbass. I mean, I know I'm not supposed to swear. They're generally a fool. Chief Superfan, Chiefs-aholic, uh, didn't send out one tweet during the Chiefs win over the Texans. He's been dark on Twitter. This is big news, ladies and gentlemen, as we go through What the Hell Wednesday. He's been dark on Twitter since the 16th. And those of you that know, today is the summer solstice, right? Or winter solstice or whatever. It's the shortest day of the year. According to a police report, a man believed to be Chiefs Aholic was arrested for armed robbery two days before the Chiefs game in Houston. Many are alleging he stopped and robbed a bank on his way down to Houston for the game. How about this? There you see it right there. Went AFK for a few days. I don't know what that means. Didn't tweet. Bond set $200,000. This clown's name is Xavier Michael Babladar. He's got all kind of problems. So he decided to rob a bank on his way to Texas to pay, apparently, for the game. So my first thought is, wait a second. So you're telling me. That being the Chiefs superfan, being Chiefsaholic, and getting all those little Chiefs boys and girls to follow you doesn't pay? I'm stunned by this. Flabbergasted, as it were. I am legitimately, legitimately, completely, and totally stunned. I don't believe it. I have a story. You know I always have a story. friend of mine currently coaching right now on a bench of a major college basketball team. 40 years ago, on his way to work at camp, runs out of money, he and a buddy. They rob a liquor store and go work the camp. He said it wasn't really a robbery. We told them we needed the money. 
We told them we'd beat them up if they didn't give us the money. They gave us too much money, he said. We gave some of it back. We just needed enough for gas. And we figured it was about 40 bucks to get from where we were to the camp that we were at. This is a true story. So they robbed this guy and went and worked the camp. Currently, assistant coach on a bench of a Power 5 basketball team. Had been a head coach as well. There you go. So look, I don't know. I don't know if you think it's good or bad, but I cannot believe I'm stunned that it doesn't pay to be chiefsaholic. I'm surprised that a guy would need money when, hey, he's the chiefsaholic. All right, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about this at length. You know, we say in the world uh, that the world is coming to an end. We say that what is happening in our country is dangerous. We say those things. And more and more, um, we're starting to see real-time evidence. So Stanford University is supposedly one of the great universities in America, one of the great universities across the world. Stanford University is always going to be the most idiotic, woke university on the planet. Stanford University recently published an index of harmful language it plans to eliminate from the school's website and computer code. The, quote, movement is called the Elimination of Harmful Language Initiative and is a multi-year project to address harmful language in IT at Stanford. There's 17,000 students at Stanford. I'm sure the IT department, I'm reading this almost verbatim from the great Mark Harris on our website. There are 10 harmful language sections found in the guide. It's filled with words and phrases that nobody outside would ever, ever consider offensive. Um, the word Karen is being eliminated and replaced with demanding or entitled white women. The word American is harmful. The word American is harmful. They would rather use the term U.S. citizen because American simply refers to people from the United States only, thereby insinuating the United States is the most important country in the Americans. Uh, pro tip, it is. Uh, in other words, according to Mark Harris, Stanford, a university located in the United States, does not believe the United States is the most important country in the Americas. See, I would argue that point. I would bet Stanford does. They just don't want to tell you because it would hurt others in the Americans' feelings. And as we all know, we must worry about feelings. Oh, feel it. Is this amazing? Tuition at Stanford is $55,000 a year for this stupidity. Don't think for a second, Mark Harris writes, that there isn't some young professor with multiple pronouns working out of a broom closet at every other university around the country pushing for this same movement 
to take over their own school. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody just simply came out at Stanford as the president and said, this is the dumbest crap I've ever heard. We are Americans. We live in the United States of America. I don't know. Or if people said, you know, you're so against the United States, you're so against America, Stanford, then I am not sending my child to Stanford. But a lot of people would have to do that. Or if people said, you know what, I would do this as an employer. In fact, I am making this a narrative on this show. We will not employ anybody that graduates from Stanford starting with this incoming freshman class. This show is going to be on for like 30 years. I'm going to be doing it when I'm 106. And we will not employ anybody who comes out of that ideology. We are born and made in the USA. We think America is not only the greatest country in the Americas, but we think America, United States, is the greatest country in the history of the world. Now, if that offends you little bedazzled phone, blue-haired fat ass, then good for you. Go be offended. I don't want to hear about it. It's like a friend of mine would tell his wife, you're mad at me? Good. Go over there and be mad at me. I don't want to hear about it. That's how I live my life. Wait, you're upset? Fine. I'm going to go golfing. I will not hire anybody from the incoming class or in the current class, anybody from Stanford for our show. Don't ask us. Don't beg us. Sue us if you'd like. I will look at your resume and say you were at Stanford starting now, actually, December 21st, 2022. Were you at Stanford? Yes. I'm not hiring you. Why? Your ideology sucks. You've been brainwashed. You're too stupid. If you don't believe in America, I can't hire you. There, I'm making the announcement. So those of you at Barrett's Media, the Indie Star, and of course, Awful Announcing, that follow this show like it's your job, write it, print it, book it. Nobody from Stanford starting right now will be hired by this show ever, period. Unless, of course, you can come in and show how, with written evidence, you denounced the stupidity that is Stanford. We expect stupidity all over the place. We expect the dumb, uh, the dumbing down of our society. So next, police officers in Atlanta arrive to investigate a shooting. But the crowd doesn't want any white officers investigating in the shooting, and they bully the officer. What a world we have racism in any form should not be tolerated. Then every one of these dumbasses that is doing what they are doing should be arrested for instruction of justice. It's literally that simple. You're going to see the video here where people are pushing a white police officer away. These are racist folks. These are folks that have no sense of civility, and they should not be tolerated as people interfering with an active police investigation. And subsequently, they should be arrested. It's literally that simple. When there is crime, when there are victims, they, uh, all of us, should not care the color of our police officer or any of it. We should be smart enough and civil enough to understand 
that it is getting to the bottom, finding the criminal and putting the criminal away. I understand people may not respect the police. I understand that people may have had bad experiences. I have had guns pulled on me, not once, not twice, but three times by police officers. Two times, absolutely deserved it. One time, not so much. Cop pulled me over on a dark road, put a gun right in here because I passed him on a double yellow and I smelled alcohol on his breath. The other times, ah, what are you going to do? They stopped, surrounded our car. I was actually the designated driver. My buddy opened the door, beer can, he dropped. I was picking him up from a bar at Franklin College and the police pulled shotguns all around the car. Third time, police stopped us in Homewood, Illinois. Uh, they thought our van was uh, the, the fit the description of a van that had been in robbery. We were, in fact, a bunch of high school kids that had gone to play hockey at Homewood Flossmoor. They opened it. I spit out some chew. It hit right on a cop's newly shined shoes. They drew their guns. I put my hands up. Hey, man, check whatever you want. And I hear people say, well, yeah. If you were African-American, you'd have got shot. No, had I been a jackass and fought with the cops, I would have gotten shot. So this cannot be tolerated. I like, yay, Rob, go fight, man. You don't like white people. But we all must learn to live together. That's it. That's all I'm saying. And if we can't, and you're, it's fine. If, if you can't live with you, you can't live with you, that's great. But when you interfere with a police investigation, then you've gone too far and people must, they must be arrested for obstructing, obstructing a police investigation. And if people get mad about it, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's just the way the world works. All right. I agree. I, look, I'm hearing myself talking. I'm like, I like what I'm saying here. I don't know. I don't know. You can't say, hey, I don't want a black police officer coming into my, well, shut up. I don't want a white police. It's stupid. Stupid. I don't want to hear it. Quit being stupid. We got to get to the bottom of crime and we got to get uh, people back and put them in jail that are causing, particularly shootings. I think it's time to put people that are shooting in jail. All right. A three-legged buck named Tripod. Um <sighs> In Oregon, residents, uh, let me see, residents were not, but got tangled up in the lights while decking the halls like another buck. I don't know what this is. Oh, so this buck got tangled up in Christmas lights, and they had to go and remove the lights from the buck. All right. There you go. Uh, I don't know. I don't get it. I'm interested in it, but not really. I got to tell you. I want animals to roam free. There's all kind of deer. Leave the deer alone. And thank you for getting the lights off the deer. Where I live, you go down. There's a lake. There's woods around my house, my neighbors, and there's deer all over. I like it. Other people don't like it because the deer get in your hostas. Give a rat's about my hostas. Set the deer free, ladies and gentlemen. Set the deer free. All right, who's our woke dope of the day? We need somebody really stupid because I feel like in our society these days, 
the dumber the better. I would argue that the idiots in Atlanta that don't want the white cop there, they would be woke and dope. Uh, I understand that by using the word idiots, I open myself up to racist claims. I don't care. If white people did it, they'd be idiots too. But if cops are coming to investigate a shooting, you let the cops do the work. And if you don't let the cops do the work, get your ass in jail on an obstruction charge. We got a woke and dope coming. It's nice that some people, you know, idolize me and put me up on a pedestal, but I don't get impressed by that. I never have. Okay. All right. It's nice that people idolize me. All right. Okay. Can you imagine? I just want I just want you to think about this for just a second, okay? Just a second. Can you imagine regardless of how the question was asked? Can you imagine saying that publicly to the world? Because let's be honest, when you are Fauci and you are speaking behind a microphone, and you are involved in a press conference, okay? I want you to imagine being so toned down, being so arrogant, being so full of yourself that you actually sit there and you say, can we play it again? It's nice that people idolize Some people, you know, idolize me and put me up on a pedestal, but I don't get impressed by that. I never have. Well, I never have, which means it's been happening to Dr. Fauci for years and years and years. Uh, This isn't a function, apparently, of his greatness in the pandemic, where every other day he did a press conference where he told us, I don't know, today is different than tomorrow, is different than the next day, is different than the next day. This goes before that. Now, I'm sure in the medical community, given the fact that Dr. Fauci became the number one person in the government to talk anything disease, his title, his status is massive. We wouldn't argue that. It has to be. So I'm guessing in the medical community, Dr. Fauci has been put on a pedestal for a number of years, I would argue. I would guess in that community. But you can't argue with me that anybody right now walks around going, you know, I got a picture, Jennifer Alba or whoever. I got a picture of Elizabeth Hurley at 57, and I got a picture of Fauci. These are the people that I think are the absolute freaking best. Yeah, I do. Those are my guys and gals. It Imagine, just imagine, for the sake of argument, saying that. Just imagine, that's where you're going to go. That's what you're going to say as somebody in the medical field that is leading all of us. Yeah, look, everybody idolizes me. I don't care. It's idiotic. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. But, hey, it is what it is. These are the times that we live in. Um, Good for Fauci. Happy for him. He's never been impressed by it. And away we go. You know, Mike Leach was put to rest in a memorial yesterday that a lot of people were tweeting out. And Mike Leach, if you don't know, uh, the coach 
you know, at Mississippi State, had been at Texas Tech, Washington State, all that kind of stuff, was a one-of-a-kind guy. Mike Leach was an easy guy to like because he had that folksy common sense where when he said something, it just made sense, whether it was the ridiculousness of student loans, whether it was his offense, whether it was about pirates, which he seemed to love. And yesterday, well, Mike Leach, again, was put to rest, and a lot of people showed out. A lot of people showed up. I had a chance to talk with Urban Meyer real quickly off the air about Mike Leach and what a great, great guy uh, Leach was. You know what? It's a one of a kind. I opened the show by talking about the dishonor in the coaching community. I opened the show showing a tweet where Alabama fans are celebrating uh, Nick Saban being able to, quote, flip an 18-year-old from his commitment to Iowa. He flipped him, and people went, yay. So in the world that we are currently living in, 18-year-olds are taught, you see the tweet right here, 18-year-olds are taught, hey, you make a commitment, but it's only as good as the next offer you get. What a sport. Legendary leader of men convinces 18-year-old to back out of a commitment, and it is celebrated. You see Torres on Bama. Bama, we did it, baby. We flipped the kid from Iowa. Yeah, that shouldn't be celebrated. It shouldn't be. You know, with all the angst and all of the political correctness that we see in this world, of all the nonsense that we see in everybody trying so desperately to show that they are better than everybody else because they're more righteous, they're more virtuous. That is something that the media, if they weren't so in pocket and afraid, ridiculous, um, would be after. I'm going to be the only one that you hear criticize flipping of recruits. It's wrong. It's stupid. It sends the wrong message. You've got a lifetime to recruit this kid from Iowa, Nick Saban. You've got everything you need to get a lineman from Iowa to come to Alabama. You didn't get it done. Iowa beat you. Kid was going to Iowa. Next thing you know, you come in. And the kid, I'm sure, felt enormous pressure and love and money to go play for Alabama. I don't blame a kid for going to Alabama. I never would. I don't blame a kid for going to Iowa, particularly as a lineman. Linemen get drafted. Like every year, there's some big, thick, ankle left tackle from Iowa that gets drafted. They sell that in their program. They sell it big time. But I'm so tired of a sanctimonious media trying to judge all of us. I'm so tired of sanctimonious coaches wearing their little suits and ties. I'm so tired of hearing about God religion, the military. The military doesn't try to talk you out of an 18-year-old out of a commitment. Honest to God, college coaches do. And it's wrong. And it should be addressed, but it never will because, well, we live in a world of gutless media. Think back to all of my media friends, uh, Pat Forty and others, that cover women's swimming. They wouldn't touch it. So many media, particularly white guys, are afraid to touch anything. Me, I'm not. That's why I'm here. All right, Fauci's glad people idolize him. 
I'm glad people idolize me, damn it. And how couldn't you? Dylan and Ryan and Tyler and Aaron and Haley, thank you guys so much. Hammer Time uh, joined us. Amando joined us. Outkick 360 coming up at 3 o'clock Eastern. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'm going to put on my thong and go tanning. See you.